So tonight is number two in a three-part talk about the the three lowest chakras. Last week I talked about the third chakra. This week I'm talking about the second chakra. And before I talk about the second chakra in particular, I just want to say a word about the lower chakras in general. If you think about the strength of emotions we have in our heart. Now, of course, sometimes we feel subtle things in our heart, but you think about where the heart maxes out in terms of the strongest emotion you might feel in your heart. Roughly speaking, (coughs) each chakra down is another 10 times stronger. And so the third chakra 10 times stronger than the heart, the second chakra 10 times stronger than that, the first chakra 10 times stronger than that. So that by the time we're down to the root chakra, the the, the maximum strength is a thousand times more than what we would feel in the heart. I always like slipping a little math into the Dharma talk. Okay, but and and I'm kind of making up these numbers, but the point is that that there's incredibly high voltage as we go into the lower chakras in in terms of the 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 power they have to 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 rile us up to motivate us to. Um, you know, create all kinds of intense reactions. And so just to be aware, um, it it takes uh, years of building our capacity to hold the energies of the lower chakras. So the second chakra. Second chakra is about how we navigate with respect to what you might call the watery aspect of life, the aspects of life that are in uncontrollable flow. Um, If we were all Buddha-like sages, we'd be able to go with the flow at any moment as as life presented us with its ever-changing complexities. We would just naturally dance with that flow. most of us are not Buddha-like sages. Um, one way to think about the, the energies of the second chakras, in terms of Chinese medicine, in Chinese medicine, the water element is mediated by the bladder kidney system. And when qi is lacking in the bladder kidney system, it's said that the person experiences fear. And fear is a big second chakra emotion, fear, fear of the flow. Um, Interestingly, when the the chi is well regulated in the bladder kidney system, it it brings the virtue of adaptability. And so I I like that contrast of, you know, know, in the West, we just talk about fear versus courage, but fear versus adaptability, you know, someone who can go with the flow. And related to fear is control. It's the nature of the nature of the flow of life, the flow of Tao, that it is beyond our control. And that can be that raises fear and that raises the the attempt to control the flow. Um, it's always a good an interesting question for all of us. What's our relationship to control? You know, what are the things that we try to control that we have no business controlling? You know, I I often say it's kind of one of these 
paradoxes of life, and in a way, kind of the tragedy of human life, that so many of us spend so much energy trying to control things that we have no control over or have no business controlling. And then we're not controlling the very things that we have under our control, you know. Another way to think about this chakra, this chakra forms, it really, a formative period for this chakra is, say, ages, you know, one, two, three, um, in, in, you know, that kind of toddler phase of infancy. And this is what Freud calls, in his psychosexual system, the anal stage. So it's this, among other things, it's the stage in which toilet training happens. Um, and of course the child is starting to ex- experience at that, at that age, all kinds of flow. There's the flow of talking. There's the flow of walking and running and moving about and exploring the world. And, um, you know, with, if there are parents who are very anxious or very fearful, those flows can be interrupted in various ways you know the the child can be constrained you know you say with talking they can be given a message of you know better to be seen than not heard or you know versus the the kid who's not being paid enough attention and they need to they feel like this almost anxious talk non-stop to get any attention at all kind of thing all these ways that the that the 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 faucet of life kind of gets stuck in an on position or stuck in an off position and we could say that the second chakra in many ways governs what I might call retention-release dynamics. Um, in, in people's living situations, there are the people who are hoarders, there are the people who are purgers. You know, with respect to money, there are the people who spend money like water versus the people who are f- terrified to spend even a dollar, you know. Um, there are the people who are gushing emotion all the time, the people who never have an emotion, you know, the people who are talking all the time, the people who never say a word, the person who talks and can't seem to stop once they start, or the person who, as soon as they start their, their halts, you know, it's like the stutter step and they're, they're stopping themselves. All these ways that the faucet of life kind of gets stuck on or stuck off, you know? And it's just, it's very interesting. What is our relationship to these various kinds of flow? And what are ways that we are, you know, too much in flow or not enough in flow in any of these areas? Another way to look at this chakra is that it has to do with pleasure. And I'll say pleasure is a very odd word, and it's a it's a hard word for us to relate to, I think. In this culture, we live in a culture that has so much baggage around the word pleasure. You know, the Puritans and the Victorians, you know, we have this whole idea of guilty pleasures, you know. Um, I think there's a tendency in this society, as it were, to tokenize pleasure, to say, just these these two or three things in life, those are the pleasurable things, and nothing else is pleasurable, you know. Um, and in fact, there's there's all kinds of 
small, wonderful pleasures in life. The pleasure of smelling fresh air. The pleasure of hearing a bird song. The pleasure of seeing a reflection in a puddle. You know, like all these everyday, ordinary pleasures. The pleasure of brushing your teeth. The pleasure of a hot shower, you know. Are we alive to these pleasures? Are we able to take in these pleasures? Um, I think the, the puritanical messages in this culture make it very hard to understand the precise Buddhist position on pleasure. Buddhism is not anti-pleasure. Buddhism's attitude is if there's pleasure in your present moment, enjoy it. Mazel tov, you know. But the problem is, instead of enjoying the pleasure, we go into this strategic mode, you know. Well, how can I get more of that? How can I guarantee I can get more of that? You know, this sort of thing. And Buddhism points out quite astutely, when we're strategizing about getting more pleasure, that's not pleasurable, you know. And often that strategizing interrupts us from having the experience of the pleasure in the present moment, you know. And so um, Buddhism is more just about a simple, uncomplicated yes to whatever is arising in the present moment. Now, along with pleasure is the whole topic of addiction, which is often driven by second chakra dynamics. And... You know, when we hear addiction, sometimes the thought is to think in terms of people who are addicted to substances, you know, and, well, I'm not addicted to a substance, so I must not have an addiction problem, you know, this kind of thing. Um, I think addiction is a much, much wider pattern than is, than is generally recognized. I mean, how many of us have the same predictable thought patterns day after day? How many of us go through the same predictable emotional loops day after day, you know? And of course, when we're going through those thought patterns of those emotional loops, we think we're free. Just like the alcoholic who's taking the next drink and think, they think they're freely taking that drink, you know? And of course, with an addiction, with any addiction, the first step is admitting, the hardest step is admitting, I have a problem. I'm not actually in control here, you know? It's... uh it's a particularly confronting thing to look at the ways that we're not in control of the of the patterns with our own psych within our own psyche you know the thought patterns that are running us the emotional patterns that are running us now last week um somebody when we were talking about the third chakra someone asked about spiritual bypassing and Spiritual bypassing doesn't have a whole lot to do with the third chakra. It has a lot more to do with the second and the first chakra. Spiritual bypassing itself is a kind of addiction. It's an addiction to, you know, I'm just going to stay in the light and the happiness and the love and the joy. Um, there's a certain element of a peacocking also, like, you know, look how spiritual and advanced I am. Um, and an unwillingness to look at the messiness, the brokenness, the culpability, that whole side of life. Um,
And so, how can I say it? We talk about the flow of life. Ultimately, from a from a, a Buddhist or a Chinese perspective, the flow of life is the Tao itself. The Tao is is seen to be this kind of the the, the cosmic flow of qi which animates all things. And one of the uh, one of the classics about the Tao, of course, is the Tao Te Ching. Um, and the the title Tao Te Ching literally means the Tao, the classic of the Tao and its virtue. Um, but that character Te Virtue, um, it, it can be loosely translated by the single word virtue. Um, Stephen Karcher, who's a uh, a translator of the I Ching and actually a, a, a very wise man. He gave a translation, a wonderful translation of that character, the, the virtue character. And so this is Stephen Karcher's translation. He he translates it as, first of all, as an abbreviation, he doesn't translate it as virtue. He, trans, he translates it as actualized Tao, and he defines it as the ability to follow the ongoing course traced by the cosmos. And that is just a wonderful description of what almost a, a sage-like balance of the second chakra would bring. The ability to follow the ongoing course traced by the cosmos. So I think at this point I'll distribute the quote sheet. See, uh, there's a room is so crowded there. Might have to have a few people share. And I'll also okay for the zoomies. There's your electronic quote sheet. So at the top, I have a quote from Lao Tzu. This is from the Tao Te Ching. Does someone want to take hold of the world and do with it what he wants? I do not see how he can succeed. The world is a sacred vessel, which must not be tampered with or grabbed after. To tamper with it is to spoil it, and to grasp it is to lose it. And of course, in some sense, you know, one reading of, of Lao Tzu's words there about the political world, and it's about, it's a statement about politics and, and seeking political power. Um, but the truth is, each one of us confronts a totality of experience that we call the world, we, or we could call it our life, you know? Does someone want to take hold of life and do with it what he wants, you know? And this whole idea that life is a sacred vessel that can't be tampered with or grasped after, you know? To what extent is your, is your life a sacred vessel? A great second chakra quote from William Blake. He who binds himself to joy does the winged life destroy. He kisses the joy as it flies, lives in eternity sunrise. <laughs> so, 18th century England, he's spouting Buddhist wisdom. 
from Rumi. All disappointments spring from your hunting for satisfaction. If only you could stop, all imaginable joys would be rolled like pearls to your feet. <laughs> Jane Austen wrote, Every moment has its pleasure and its hope. Kierkegaard said, Many of us pursue pleasure with such breath breathless haste that we hurry past it. <laughs> so true. Thich Nhat Hanh said, Wholesome spiritual nourishment can be found looking at the blue sky, the spring blossoms, or the eyes of a child. We can celebrate the joys that are available in these simple pleasures. From the Jungian psychologist Marion Woodman, she's talking about the dark goddess. She faces us with our greatest fear, and by showing us the treasure hidden away with it, she takes us to a place where love is born. Love is the true antithesis of fear. It expands where fear constricts. It embraces where fear repels. A couple from Pema Chodron. The only reason we don't open our hearts and minds to others is that they trigger confusion in us that we don't feel brave enough or sane enough to deal with. To the degree that we look clearly and compassionately at ourselves, we feel confident and fearless about looking into somebody else's eyes. And she also said, the Buddha taught that we're actually not in control, which is a pretty scary idea. But when you let things be as they are, you'll be much happier, more balanced, a more, you'll be a much happier, more balanced and compassionate person. A couple also from Jack Cornfield. I saw the whole idea of spiritual renunciation as a kind of joke trying to make oneself let go of ordinary life and pleasure. In fact, nirvana is so open and joyful and is so much more than any of the small pleasures we grasp after. You don't renounce the world, you gain the world. You know, and I think of that wonderful line in the, from the Gospel of Matthew in Christianity, blessed are the meek, the meek shall inherit the earth. You know, and the, you know, the more, um, how can I say, conventional Christian understanding is that, you know, you know, the Christian's supposed to be meek, and then God's going to come along and say, you inherit the earth, you know. But really a, a more mystical understanding, which was present in Christianity and certain, certainly consistent with Buddhism, is this idea that if I just drop all my stuff, drop all my trips, and just am open to the world, I inherit the beauty of the present moment, you know. Jack Cornfield also says, Peace requires us to surrender our illusions of control. We can love and care for others, but we cannot possess our children, lovers, family, or friends. We can assist them, pray for them, and wish them well, yet in the end, their happiness and suffering depends on their thoughts and actions, not on our wishes. Sherrod Salzberg said... <coughs> No matter how much we want it to be otherwise, the truth is that we're not in control of the unfolding of our experiences. That remarkable woman, Bell Hooks, said, The practice of love offers no place of safety. We risk loss, hurt, pain. We risk being acted upon by forces outside our control. Tara Brock says, quite simply, 
We can't understand the nature of reality unless we let go of controlling our experience. And Muji says quite simply, your, ur- your urge to control life controls you. Neil Gaiman says, face your life, its pain, its pleasures, leave no path untaken. Michael Cooley says, true freedom arises when you do not want anything from anyone else, and so, from this fearless state, you will be at peace with yourself and all beings. This is a beautiful gift you will bring to the world by letting go of the addiction of self, one less being demanding that life will always please and satisfy them. Ruth Gendler said, Pleasure is wild and sweet. She likes purple flowers. She loves the sun and the wind and the night sky. She carries a silver bowl full of liquid moonlight. She has a cat named Midnight with stars on his paws. Many people mistrust pleasure or even misunderstand her. For a long time, I could barely stand to be in the same room with her. (laughs) Debbie Ford said, Surrender is the ultimate side of sign of strength and the foundation of spiritual life. Surrendering affirms that we are no longer willing to live in pain. It expresses a deep desire to transcend our struggles and transform our negative emotions. Surrender is a gift that you can give yourself. It's an act of faith. It's saying that even though I can't see where this river is flowing, I trust it will take me in the right direction. And I'll say about surrender, it's, I think we, it's important to distinguish surrender from its near enemies. And one of the near enemies of surrender is resignation. You know, resignation, I'm saying verbally, well, I'm, you know, I guess I can't, guess I just have to live up with it. I guess I can't do anything about it. But I'm really holding on very tightly to this, but, but here's the way it really should be. And I'm not getting my way, you know, like this kind of thing. Whereas true surrender is this incredible allowing, you know. And I think it's ironic, you know, at a certain stage when we're younger, a lot of virtue comes by achieving and by struggle. I think the more we go in in spiritual development, a lot of the deeper states come only through surrendering. Finally, Race Mamenikin from that remarkable book, My Grandmother's Hands. Years as a healer and trauma therapist has taught me that trauma isn't destiny. The body, not the thinking brain, is where most of us experience most of our pain, pleasure, joy, and where we process most of what happens to us. It is also where we do most of our healing, including emotional and psychological healing. And it is where we experience resilience and a sense of flow. Mm. 